Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Olivia. I'm the pastor of Generational Ministries here, Um, and it's so good to be with you this morning. Um, So we're just going to dive right into it. We're just going to get right in. Um, So something I've learned about myself um, as I've been given the opportunity to speak here, and maybe it's less that I've learned it and more that it's been told to me, um, is that I always tell embarrassing stories about myself, and which also mean embarrassing stories for my parents about myself. Um, from childhood. So today is not the day to stop. So I have another good one for you guys, and I did not warn my mom about this one. So don't ask her questions in the lobby after service about it. So growing up through middle and high school, I was super involved in the FFA, which isn't the funny or embarrassing part. I loved the FFA. I loved competing, and I loved holding office. I loved getting to travel with the organization. Um, And I started my FFA career in seventh grade. and like right out the gate was elected as president. Um, And I think it's because I just talked really loud, um, was good with the microphone, you know? But because of that, I was given the opportunity in seventh grade to travel to Indianapolis with our chapter for the FFA National Convention. Um, So keep in mind, I'm probably 13-ish, traveling out of state for the first time without my parents. Um, And I was really, really excited. I looked forward to this trip for months, and all of a sudden, like just a couple of days before I was about to leave, I start to not feel good, Um, and I panic. And I didn't want anyone to know that I was sick because of the thought of having to miss out on this opportunity was super devastating to me. Um, And so I did what any reasonable middle schooler would do, and I took the matters of my health into my own hands. So... I snuck the thermometer into my bedroom and secretly took my temperature, and of course, I'm burning up, I have a fever, but I tell no one. So I go to the kitchen, um, and I get the Motrin, I put myself on a strict regimen um, to hide the fever from my family. Um, I should probably say don't try this at home, because it did work. I got to go on my trip, fever and all, I was very sick. The next thing I know, I'm walking off the train in Indianapolis. It's like midnight. I'm in a new city. Um, I'm parentless, and I'm so sick. The minute that my feet touch the still ground, I get violently ill in front of all of my classmates, all of my friends, the high schoolers who traveled with us. Um, And of course, I just blamed it on my severe motion sickness. And I didn't disclose that I was sick when I got on the train in Stanton. But a few days later, I couldn't hide it. I was obviously really sick, and I had let it go for far too long without telling anyone, and I ended up in the emergency room. 
remember, I'm 13, my parents aren't here, I find out I have pneumonia. And there was no one there who could take care of me. Um, so they just like stick me in a room by myself in the hotel and that's where I spend the rest of the National FFA Convention. All because I wasn't content with the idea of having to miss out on this trip, with the idea of having to stay home. As a seventh grader, contentment didn't come naturally to me. And as a 28-year-old, the practice of contentment still isn't a natural response. But as Paul wraps up his letter to the Philippians, we've been in Philippians for about nine weeks, he wants readers to know that contentment is possible in all circumstances. So like I said, we spent nine weeks in Philippians, um, and if there's anything I think Paul wants readers to know, it's this, that knowing Jesus is a deeply transformational experience in the way we see others, in the way we walk through hardship, and in the way we pursue a relationship with Christ. But as I'm bringing you this final word from the book of Philippians, I think we have to acknowledge the importance found in an ending. Um, and over the past couple of years, I've become quite the book reader. I love to read books. It's one of my favorite pastimes. But I'm learning that reading books is a deeply personal thing for people. We all look forward to different parts of a book. We could all, in this room, we could all read the same book and still learn something different than the person next to us. But for me, when I read a book, here's what's true. The ending matters. There's something about the end of a story that's just significant for me. Plot lines are brought to a close. Conflicts are resolved. Characters are completed. But most importantly, for me, it's the last thing that an author gives me to hold on to. For me, the ending is what stays with me the longest. So in my opinion, it's a really critical part of the story. And I believe that Paul knew it too, that the ending matters. So as we dive into Paul's final words to the Philippians, I want to approach them with the understanding that there is an importance found in the ending. And I know we've been here for nine weeks, um, but I want to remind us of the scene where these words from Paul are taking place. Paul is in what most of us would consider significant hardship. He's been obedient to the call. He's been a faithful minister of the gospel. He's left his old, comfortable life behind and traded it for this radical, transformative life that is completely dedicated to bringing others to Christ. And because of that work, he's writing this letter in prison. His freedom has been taken from him, and he writes these words not knowing if the end of his prison sentence is going to come as a result of his own death. So this is significant for us to know that this is true. This is where Paul's at. So if you have your copy of scripture, I would invite you to go to Philippians 4. Um, or there's an event set up in the YouVersion app for us. But you can follow along with me starting in verse 10. Here's what it says. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. And with these words, Paul is expressing gratitude to the church at Philippi because they've sent him a financial gift. This gift would help provide for him and to help him continue in ministry if he were to be released from prison. But something I like to do when I read scripture is to pause and try to imagine myself 
in the shoes of the person I'm reading about. So I want to stop for a second and really consider Paul's situation. And I want to try to imagine ourselves into the shoes of Paul. So if it were me in prison for preaching the gospel, for doing this, my letter to you guys, to my church, would be a little more urgent. It would have been like, have you guys started a prayer chain, you know? Have you petitioned for my release, for me to be set free? I don't think my response would have been the same as Paul's. I would have been frantic. I would have been desperate. What about you? If you're imagining yourself in the shoes of Paul, what might your response be to finding yourself in this situation? But yet, Paul's words are this, I'm truly grateful for your gift, but I really don't need it. I'm content, no matter what. And I hear these words from Paul, and I think, could he really be content in this situation? Could he claim contentment while living in prison, wondering whether he would live or die? It makes me really want to understand what he means by being content, because Paul, he was a human, just like you and me. He felt emotion. He had feelings. I can't imagine that Paul was sitting there in prison saying, this is actually the best case scenario for me. I can't imagine a better outcome than the one I'm faced with for all my hard work. I doubt that Paul like, leaned over to the guards and was like, aren't you glad to be here? I'm super glad to be here. Maybe I'm wrong, but my hunch is that Paul would have chosen freedom if the choice was his. But then there are two things that I notice about these particular verses. The first is that Paul says he's content, not that he's happy. And we have to make the distinction between the two. And the second thing I notice is that Paul says he's learned to be content. And the more I'm learning about Paul's situation, the more I'm understanding that his contentment isn't as much of a feeling as it is a way of being. So let's not get discouraged this morning thinking that Paul is asking us to be happy in hardship. As I've tried to understand what this word content means in this context, it's clear that the original intent of this word was to communicate an attitude of sufficiency or strength. Contentment isn't about being giddy about your situation. It's about trusting deeply that God is enough. So Paul, he isn't talking about an emotion. He's talking about this way of being. He's proclaiming a state of satisfaction, or as we may better understand it, he's talking about a feeling of peace. But peace, this is a difficult word for us, I think, maybe just for me. When I think about my own life, it's easiest for me to be at peace when my circumstances are easy. When things get rocky, I get overwhelmed. When life is harder than I think it should be, my peace gradually slips away. My seventh grade self didn't understand this idea of peace or contentment when things didn't go my way because if what Paul tells us is true, it's something that's learned. He says this, that he's had to learn what it means to be content. That means that there have been times in his walk with the Lord where he's known discontentment or a lack of peace. There have been times when that was his reality. If he claimed that he had contentment, there had been times when he surely didn't. I think about when Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians. 
he claimed that he pleaded with the Lord to take his burden from him three times. He wanted out of his pain, out of whatever it was that was standing in his way, so we know that Paul knew discontentment. But it's clear that he's also learned to overcome it. So we're going to keep reading in verse 12. It says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And it's in these words that we can truly understand the gift that is contentment. And it's not something that's promised when we have everything that we need which is hard for us to understand, I think, but because Paul said that he's had to learn to be content in every situation, whether he's well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. So he's telling us that it's possible to have everything in the world and still not be content. And it's possible to have nothing and be completely at peace which again feels so different than the world in which we're living. Because if I'm being honest, there have been times when I've thought, if only my student loans were paid off, then I could really experience life. If only I could have a vacation like that, then maybe I could come back to my life and be rested and happier and have peace with where I'm at today. If only, if only. It feels natural for us to believe that contentment or peace is on the other side of something, of an accomplishment, of healing, of amended relationship, of the start of a family, of a significant other, and the list could go on and on and on. So I think that Paul's use of the word secret in verse 12 was intentional because he knew that finding contentment is tricky no matter what your life looks like. Because Paul, he likely had nothing, very little to nothing to his name. Whatever worldly possessions he did have may not have been accessible to him in his current state of imprisonment. And the world would tell us that peace wouldn't be the norm for him. But his secret to contentment is way more powerful than any hardship we could ever face. In verse 13, Paul tells us his secret. He says this, that I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And this is a powerful word from Paul, but also one that we can severely misunderstand. Because we read that verse sometimes and we hear this, I can win every battle through him who gives me strength. Or I can defeat my enemies through him who gives me strength. Or I can get what I want through him who gives me strength. We have a tendency to treat this verse like some sort of superpower that comes from God. And it makes us feel like we can fix every problem, heal every sickness. But in my experience, that interpretation leaves us, God's children, feeling like we don't have enough faith. Or like God has forgotten about us, like he doesn't care. Paul didn't know if he was going to be released from prison. He didn't know if he'd ever experience freedom again. He didn't know if he would have the resources to provide for himself. But none of that mattered because he knew that God would give him exactly what he needed to get through whatever the outcome of his situation was. If the ending 
was death, God would give him the strength for that. If the ending was freedom to continue in ministry, God would give him what he needed for that. As Paul's closing out his letter to the Philippians, he wants them to know that being content has nothing to do with what he has. He's grateful for what they gave him. He spends verses 14 through 18 saying just that. But it's clear that he's even more grateful for their generosity and for their partnership in ministry than for that gift itself. But even still, he needs them to know that peace is possible without these things. And he wants them to know that the source of that peace, of that contentment, is a strength that only comes through Christ. Paul isn't promising that all of our wildest dreams will come true through these words, that everything will go the way that they had hoped. And truthfully, if you've been around and existed for any length of time, you know that because we've all experienced disappointment in some capacity. But Paul offers the Philippians and us a hope that God will see us through the hardship and that God will see us through the disappointment. But I want to be clear about something, and that's that this contentment, this peace, it doesn't just happen to us. I've been in seasons of my life where I've been frustrated that God hasn't given me peace. He hasn't given me the strength to push through, that he hasn't provided me with something that I thought I needed. But something I've realized about my own life is that every time I'm unsatisfied because I'm in some sort of need of provision, of strength, of just what it takes to make it through, God has already done his part. And maybe it's possible that I've neglected mine. God has never not been faithful. It's who he is. It's in his character to be faithful to us. But the trust that we have to have to understand contentment, it's not natural for us. It's not our human response. This was true for me when I started out in ministry here. I thought I could literally do it all. I still think that sometimes. And I was excited about it at that point. I was young. I'm still young. But I was really young then. And I was coming back to a church that had known me as a child and that had watched me grow up. And I was determined I had to prove myself. I thought it was my job to show everyone that I was capable of doing the work. I was capable of balancing all the things on my plate. But I was driving to church one day and I had to pull off the road because I was weeping so hard I couldn't see 10 feet in front of me. I was so tired and so defeated because this ministry is hard work and I could not manage it on my own. I had taken the call that the Lord had placed on my life and I put it in my own hands. I wasn't trusting that he would see me through it. God had done his part. He'd called me to ministry. He'd given me an amazing church to learn and grow in. He'd placed people around me who could teach me and support me and mentor me. He was equipping me, but I was trying to do it all by myself. My trust was in myself, and I quickly found myself discontent in the place that I was in. I knew I had to get out of that place, and I knew that it would take work. Finding contentment in our circumstances does not just happen to us. It's an active pursuit, and it requires a deep trust in God as provider. 
Jesus talks really directly in Matthew chapter 6 about this. And it's so beautiful that he articulates the truth about the pursuit of trusting God as our provider. He says this starting in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is clear that for the believer, provision is part of the deal. It's who God is. A God that takes care of the needs of his children and notice the way that Jesus uses the care that God has for the birds in the air to emphasize the greater care that he has for us. But there are things that we know to be true about birds. Birds are not idle creatures. They, like most other creatures, don't sit around and wait for food to be brought to them. They don't sit around and wait for a shelter to be built around them. One commentator said, the birds don't worry, but they do work. Birds don't just sit around with open mouths waiting for God to fill them, meaning even birds know that they play a part in their own care. So shouldn't we, God's children, be willing to do our part in finding the contentment, in finding the peace? Jesus is clear here. He says, do not worry. Your Father knows what you need when you need it. But... Whenever there's a but, we know that there's more for us to consider. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, there's an active role that we play here. God, by nature, is trustworthy. He knows us intimately. He gives us exactly what we need, even if it isn't exactly what we want but there is work for us to do in seeking the kingdom of God and seeking righteousness. We, like the birds, weren't created to sit idly by while God works everything out for the good around us. We play an active role, and it works in unison with what God does for us as we seek him first, as we pursue righteousness our trust in him increases. And I really believe that we are given this peace that Paul talks about. We're able to understand what it means to be content in every circumstance. But don't hear what I'm not saying. This isn't about building a relationship with God for the sake of getting what we want or what we need. It's not transactional. This is about seeking a relationship with our creator who loves us beyond imagination because we were created to be in relationship with him. And the beauty of that relationship 
is that in the seeking, it's guaranteed that we won't get everything that we want, but we can trust that we will have everything that we need. The bottom line today is the nature of God's care for us is not that we have everything we want. It's an attitude of complete trust no matter what we have. And this is hard because I know that there are people in the room who don't feel like they have what they need. I know that because I found myself in the same spot. But what I've learned is that what we need isn't always something that we can touch or feel. It isn't always something that we can receive that's given to us. Sometimes what we need is the strength to get through the discontentment. Sometimes what we need is just the discernment to know what the very next step is. Sometimes what we need is just the peace in knowing that we're not alone. God takes care of even the birds and aren't you more important? If we go back to our passage in Philippians, Paul ends his thoughts about contentment with this. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knows that being content in every circumstance isn't something that's exclusive to him. He wants readers to know that they too can understand what it means to trust that everything that's needed will be provided. But as we close today, I want to talk to the people in the room who feel so far from the possibility of contentment. Your heart has been broken too many times. You've experienced too many disappointments. The healing, it still hasn't come. Whatever is creating that space for you, that distance has left too many wounds. And contentment, it doesn't feel like it could ever be a part of your story. I want you to know that this is true, that God doesn't want us to hurt. He doesn't desire hardship for us, but he can redeem what's been broken for our good. So I'd ask you, is there work that you need to do with the Lord this morning? Are there wounds that you need to let him heal? Are there areas of your life that you need to loosen your grip on what hurts are standing in the way of you and the peace that the Lord has promised to offer us? As the band leads us in worship, I would invite you to name those areas and offer them back to the Lord. He's faithful and he wants to redeem even the darkest, loneliest, hardest parts of our lives for the good of ourselves and the good of those around us. Would you stand with me? We're going to worship, but I want to, I want to pray. God, um, I pray this over my students often, and I want to pray it now. There is no darkness that's too dark. There is no space that is too great. Your light will always shine in the darkest. No matter how dark it feels for us, your light will always shine in our darkest moments, in the darkest parts of our lives. So God, come now. Holy Spirit, come and move in our hearts. Offer us peace and may we be obedient 
to the call of receiving that. God, we love you. Thank you that your word is still living. It's active. It teaches us. It's hard sometimes, but God, your word is true and it's for us. We love you. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.